Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my dad. His name is John Bruce. He's a pastor here. Dad, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's the beginning of football season. What could be better? I'll tell you what could be better if Nick Bosa had a contract. <laughs> that's what would be better. Give him the money, Dad. This is our Super Bowl window. <laughs> oh, he'll be on the he'll be on the team. Will he be here in week one or is I, that already ruled out? I don't know about that. Okay. I mean, they're playing some high level games right now. Yeah. You know, last time we talked about uh, Trey Lance and whether he had a sample size that uh, justified any take on him. Apparently, the Niners have a take on him, and it's see you later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I saw Steve Young didn't like the trade, but more because it was to the Cowboys. Well, that's exactly what I thought, too. Trade him to anyone but the Cowboys, because if that comes back to haunt us, that's like the worst outcome. Yeah, it's... uh. Cowboys and then kind of Seahawks Packers probably tied right below that for me in terms of uh, animosity. Yeah. yeah. But today we're going to talk about not having animosity because we're talking about marriage. That's the worst kind of animosity. uh, We're going to talk about protecting your marriage. We're in a series uh, on Proverbs called Smart People, what Proverbs teaches about building habits And Proverbs teaches us the kind of wisdom we should cultivate, the skill in living, working with the grain of God's universe, and really living, learning how to live life between the verses, um, how to develop the skill of living, of decision-making, so that when we encounter complex situations, we know how to navigate life in God's world. So Proverbs gives us a bunch of habits, skills to uh, develop, And we've talked about a number of these, and today we're going to talk about an issue that Proverbs talks a lot about, and that's marriage, Dad. Marriage is what brings us together today. (laughs) What are your thoughts? I think that's probably going to be a dated, (laughs) a somewhat dated comment. Um, I am 39, Dad, (laughs) and every 39-year-old... They'll know it. We'll yes. appreciate that. That's and if you good. don't, that's fine. <laughs> and those older than 39 will appreciate it, too. Good. So where right. would you like to start? Well, I the thing that I thought about is that is that marriage is in trouble in our country. I think 50% of all marriages into divorce, 60% of all second marriages in divorce, 73% of all third marriages in divorce. So we have a hard time staying together. And I think Proverbs does give us some some important clues on how to do that. And the one I was the first thing I was thinking about that Proverbs says is is the need to value your marriage and, and above all value your mate. Hmm. Uh, and I was thinking of Proverbs five, which is a a great proverb. The whole thing is is great on on uh, marriage and sexual morality and all these things. And and Solomon writes from in verses fifteen through seventeen: drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. And if you think about what water was in the Middle East and how most people, most farmers were dependent upon the rains, and if the rains didn't come, uh, your your crops were, were history. And so to own a well 
in that in that situation was that well was very was very precious and that's what solomon compares your wife or your husband to it's like a well constantly available for refreshment and so uh solomon goes on says should your springs be dispersed abroad streams of water in the streets let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you that that water you have in that well is so precious that don't disperse it abroad. In other words, don't spread your sexual favors to everybody around because it's kind of missing completely, but let it be for you and you only. Um, and I think that's the first thing, that's that when you think about when, uh, how do you know a marriage is in trouble when, when, uh, when a, a husband hits his wife or when a wife cheats on her husband or, or when you file divorce? No, that's way down the stream. It, mm-hmm. The marriage usually begins to fall apart when they begin to despise each other and not value each other. And so working to keep the value of your mate always high in your own mind and in how you treat them, I think is one of the key things that Proverbs teaches us about, about having a great marriage. Proverbs 5 is interesting. It, it's clearly talking about sexual morality and um, faithfulness and and obviously the cure or the yeah. solution to sexual unfaithfulness is to prioritize your spouse sexually. Exactly. But within the biblical story, I think it's important to see that sex is the covenant sign of marriage. Right. So anytime the Bible talks about prioritizing sexual intimacy, that's a picture of prioritizing marital yes. intimacy. That yes. the one flesh union of sex is this picture of a whole life merging. Yes. And so I think we could extend that image. Is there's lots of ways to disperse your streams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That go beyond the bedroom. Exactly. Uh, your emotional energy, your mental energy, your you know just not prioritizing your spouse in the way you think about your time talent, treasure, all of these things, yeah. and assuming they'll be there so they kind of get the leftovers of my life yeah. while everyone else gets the best of me. Yeah. And the Bible would give completely the opposite right. perspective, right. which is this is the relationship you should prioritize to the expense of every other relationship, even right. your own children. Yeah. This yeah. relationship should come first. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's exact, exactly, I think, what Solomon's saying there. And I'm sure it was as countercultural in his culture as it is in ours, but because we really operate on the uh, uh, whatever is screaming loudest gets our attention, not necessarily what's most important. And and a, and a spouse will go for a long time without complaining or without, but uh, it can fall apart real quickly uh, under the right circumstances. So continuing to nurture that relationship and to cherish and and to make him or her feel like the most important person in the world, uh, you're doing yourself good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard one of the number one predictors of marital success is if you spend 30 minutes a week, a week just talking to each other, wow. just talking to catch up. And if you're above that threshold, you're going to be in pretty good shape. If you're yeah. below that, it's generally a sign of real problems yeah. and, and yeah. trouble. And And so... It seems so obvious, prioritize your spouse, but it can so quickly become this kind of business partnership uh, that we just kind of get things done together and don't really take the time to invest in each other and serve each other. Yeah. And that quickly can build contempt for each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is 
I think everyone kind of knows this. It, it was so striking to me. You know, we just had our fourth kid, and our pediatrician's a really interesting guy. I feel like he's got to be a believer, and I need to ask him. But mm. he comes in uh, a few days after uh, we're getting ready to leave the hospital, and he says, hey, in a couple weeks, leave the kids at home and go out and talk about why you committed to each other, <laughs> Wow! how you've changed while you've been married. And he said, here's why. He says, um, your kids do not make your marriage. Um, you're not married just for the sake of your mm. kids. Mm. Your, your commitment predates your kids. It was there before your kids came. It'll be there before your kid, after your kids leave. Yeah. And he yeah. said, and what your kids need to see is that your connection to each other is rock solid. And yeah. that is what will give them confidence for the future, That's the ability great. to take risks. And then he just shut the door and left. Michelle <laughs> and I are looking like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, what, you know I, like I needed to close in prayer after that. I mean, yeah, it was just, yeah. it, but it was so interesting that even a, a pediatrician, you know, who's probably been through this so many times oh, with yeah. couples, just that was the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and of course we invest in our kids, but so often, like you were saying, all of these other things seem more urgent, more yeah. important. And it's similar to our relationship with God in that way, that anything seems more important than praying and reading the Bible and communing with God, and yet that's the thing to prioritize. Yeah. Right below that is prioritizing your spouse. Yeah, yeah. Which it takes just as much discipline to do that, too. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a good, good thing. Yeah, I just I think of something I read years ago, but it said that uh, that the more children believe their parents really love each other, as opposed to really love them, the more secure they are. Yeah, their their security and happiness comes from the relationship between mom and dad first, and then their relationship with mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, in a in a loving family, it starts starts at the top. Yeah, because a child can can sense even if they can't articulate it when they are actually the emotional center of their yes. parents' lives. Yes, that, that they are what bring their their parents comfort. Yes, or consolation, or that their parents need this relationship. And I just think about what Paul says that it's not for children to put up for parents, but parents to put up oh, for children. Oh, that's a great point, yeah. And, and, and the, that uh, we serve our kids, but ultimately we're raising our kids to follow Jesus. Um, we are not dependent on our kids yeah. for our happiness, yeah. um, and nor are our kids the, the first friends at that stage. Your, your spouse is your friend. Yeah. That's, that's who you're walking with life navigating yeah. and who's bearing those burdens. No, that's so healthy. That's so good. Because if, if children sense that you're getting something from them you need, they'll lose respect for you, um, no matter how old they are. Um, well, I think they'll feel a compulsion to help you a lot of times, and then eventually come to resent you. For yes, that. exactly. Because you put them in a situation where they didn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, exactly. And they had to provide this thing for you yeah. that you should have looked elsewhere to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's say, I mean, I think a lot of the people we're talking to, they, they agree with us intellectually, but they would say, okay, so how do I do that? Because that's not where we are right now. Yeah. What would be some things you would say? What would Proverbs say? <laughs> well, the Proverbs warns a lot against being contentious. Yeah. In marriage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's probably the first thing to ask is how many of our how many of our interactions um, are characterized by fighting 
and contention versus positive talk to yeah. each other. You That's know, a contentious good. woman is like a dripping faucet. Yeah. Um, you, you know, can we resolve things quickly or do they just keep going and going yeah. and going and yeah. going? Yeah. Um, so so I, I guess I would start with some diagnostics to kind of see where are you at in terms of the communication climate. Right. And anytime there's contempt, which is anger and disgust, stonewalling, defensiveness, criticism, I think those are Gottman's four signs of the marriage apocalypse right yeah. there. That yeah. if those things That's are there, good. those are the really clear yeah. warning indicators. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 here's I think how you approach it. Yes, you have issues with your spouse. They might have real big problems that need to be addressed. Yeah. If that's the climate of communication, though, it's going to fail regardless of how legitimate yes. your, your concerns are. Yes. If it's characterized by contempt, stonewalling, blaming, criticism, defensiveness, all of these things, even if you have a legitimate concern, if you can't fruitfully have conversations, it doesn't matter if you're right. Yeah, the marriage is in jeopardy yeah. because people can only bear to live under that for so long. Right, and regardless of whether they have biblical grounds for divorce or not, they'll often seek it just because they're just so fed up with the marriage. And it's, yeah, it's so miserable. And it's so miserable. They would they yeah. they would rather be alone than than live in that. Yes, which is what Proverbs says. Right, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop. It's better to right. That's the, than, with, than with a contentious woman, right, or a contentious man for that matter. Yeah, and I think you could apply it both ways because yeah. Solomon's speaking to his son, yeah. you know, and directing it there. Yeah, um, but but it, it works both ways. That that issue of contentiousness is huge. Okay, so how do you how do you address that? I I think you have to learn to just start by having normal conversations yeah. with your spouse. Talk about the day. Talk about how things are going. How did you feel about that? Without feeling the need to bring up yeah. every concern you have, yeah, um, yeah, uh, and and then you know I think what what Greg often says is you have to learn to treat your spouse like royalty, yeah, which means you know this is the king and queen of the realm, and you need to speak with an honor and respect toward them, yeah, that yeah. Um, that befits their place in your life, yeah. Yeah. And I know when I'm not doing that toward my wife and being kind of harsh and dismissive, and I think, you know what, I wouldn't talk to yeah. my boss that way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't talk to someone I just met that way. So why on earth would I talk to my wife that yeah. way? That's, yeah. that, that's where I would start on the, on the things to really avoid. Yes. The things to pursue, you just got to, even if it, you don't feel like it, make time for your spouse. Yeah, yeah. And it'll get better, but you, you just got to find um, a rhythm of just talking and seeing how each other is doing. Yeah, exactly. What would you say? Well, I would agree. I agree with that completely. And I think kind of following up on your the last point you make, you have to work to keep romance alive, mm -hmm. um, regardless of how long you've been married. Um, you can't just think about your needs and, well, I'm not interested now, so I'll go do something else. You've got to look, think about your spouse and putting her or him first. And, and Solomon says... Uh, and again, Proverbs 5, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? The first time I read that, I read, that's in the Bible? But, <laughs> but uh, that was when I was a young man. I, I didn't think I'd ever need that as a command. But, well, you read the Song of Songs, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. But I think what he's saying there is is that that this is something you have to choose to do for your mate, even yeah. at times when you may not be inclined in that way. And it's not just the physical, but it's just the whole romantic, the uh, pursuing, pursuing each other and and delighting each other and. And even for me, for Lori and I, it's just a lot of it. It's just fun, just laughing about things and joking about things and having private little jokes and yeah. stuff like that. That's a lot of it. It's just, uh, um, you know, but I think it's really continuing to, pers- don't, don't kind of, well, we're married now, so that's done. Let's move on to the next thing. But it is keeping the relationship growing and alive all the way through. I love that. Yeah. Learning what communicates love to your spouse, um, not not what you think is loving, but what they think is is loving, which will invariably be different than you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's where the love languages, yeah, Gary Chapman's whole idea is helpful in understanding what communicates love and yeah. value to you. Yeah, I remember when Gashel and I read that book in premarital counseling. She says, "I like all of these. Do them all the time." <laughs> Great. So. And so, yeah, I, I think whatever that means in terms of acts of servants, uh, service, words of affirmation, gifts, those kind of things, what does it? And I think the other thing about laughter that's so important, at a core level, you have to learn to accept your spouse where they are yeah. while praying for their change yeah. and growth yeah. and helping them take steps. But but if they don't feel like you... Um, enjoy them or accept them in some sense, just where you are right now, yeah. it makes it very hard to have intimacy, yeah. a relationship. Yeah. And and so that I think that point about laughter is great. You know, Proverbs 31, she laughs at the days to come. Yeah. That that, that there is a sense of, of humor in good marriages. Um, and that they kind of accept the flaws and foibles of each other, even if they want those things to change. Um they, they don't hold them over them after exactly. years and years. I love the G.K. Chesterton comment. He said, the secret to every, at the heart of every great marriage, it's something like each spouse has an everlasting joke against the other. <laughs> and they know they are a fool, but a great fool. Yeah. And, and, and it's just this idea that I know you better than anyone. And I know the things that are just ridiculous about you, but I don't hold those over you. I, <laughs> you know, I clean the house in an order that makes no sense. And it hasn't changed. And and Cashel will just watch me and laugh every single time. Yeah. She said, you know, I'll be vacuuming. And she goes, oh, you should put the knives away, honey. That should be the <laughs> next thing you do. And it's funny. You know, it's funny because I know that that she isn't doing it to to try to shape or mold me in some way. Right. She just kind of knows this is who you are. Yeah. And I, there's all sorts of ways I long for you to grow, but I, I don't hold things over you. Yeah. It's kind of like the way you treat your own sins. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It's it's you're you're treating your spouse like you treat yourself because the two have become one. Yeah. And so you can accept or she can accept our weaknesses and and you pray that they'll change, but there's some things that are just going to be that's the way they're put together. Well, there's yeah, and there's stubborn and besetting sins over time that just change more slowly. Yeah. And they do for everyone. Yeah. And, and the more aware you are of how slowly you change, the more gentle and gracious you'll be with exactly. your spouse. And I think that's where really confessing and repenting before God is is key because you need to see the magnitude of your own sin, yeah. how slowly you change, and how gracious uh, you are often with yourself in the midst of yeah. that, right? <laughs> uh, and yeah. how gracious you long for God to be with you in yeah. that. And then go, okay, well, your spouse is, is just like you. They're yeah. going to change slowly. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and kind of a sidelight of that, it, it just it it reminds me of Jesus saying, "Forgive one another as God has forgiven you, so that He can forgive you your sins." And right. I was thinking of First Peter three seven: Husbands, love your live with your wives, uh, and grant her honor as, as an equal heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Yeah. And basically, if if you're going to be uh, Mister Man or Mrs. Woman, and, and just kind of be always lowering the boom on, while you failed here, you failed here. You're not going to get your prayers answered. Nope. Because that's not the way God treats you. And God is not inclined to hear our prayers when we refuse to follow his example in how, how to treat people, especially our mates. Yeah, he's not going to enable you yeah. to go on in a dysfunctional marriage like that and bless you in all of these ways. Exactly. Uh, if you aren't prioritizing your marriage, because that's the picture of the gospel in the world. And, exactly. And, and, it, and it's dishonoring to God yeah. when we when we don't prioritize our spouse. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's good. So I think just really pursuing the relationship and doing, not doing what kills it, doing the things that gives it life, and uh, really focusing on loving your spouse and making her happy, or making him happy. Another thing I think of, and this may be a little off the wall, but I, I think in, in Proverbs 31, which is the the great proverb for women, well, actually, it's a great proverb for men. That's, that's who it was given to. It was given from a mother to her son. And, yeah, it's, it's a mom's depiction exactly. of, of, of the kind of excellent wife that a king should pursue. Exactly. And so you look, I look at all the things that that woman is able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I and I think, well, what does that tell me about her husband? And it tells me that he is a very encouraging man. He is a man who who gives her all the freedom to pursue her ambitions, who allows her to, to develop and, and all these things. And then turns around and says, uh, you know, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Just a very encouraging man. And I, I think that in, in marriage for both husband and wife to be encouraging to your spouse in in the areas where they're gifted, in the areas where they want to develop and stuff like that, rather than making it all about you and your ambitions and and uh, and seeing them simply as your helper. Yeah, I mean the wife is the helper in accomplishing God's mission yes. in the world. And um and I think that is the key is seeing how the the strengths of your spouse complement you even if they aren't necessarily what you would have asked for, trusting that they're what God says you need to yeah. help you grow. Yeah. And you, you know what I mean? I think that's the difference. I think I, I think one problem with kind of a modern view of romance is we put so much weight on romantic relationships to kind of meet our emotional needs. Yeah. But it's about finding the right person. And the right person... Um, will help me to self-actualize, you know, and and if, if if I don't have to change and I can get all these needs met, then the relationship's great. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. And, and and so the mar- the the relationship exists for no greater purpose than itself. It's yeah. just it's it's a way to meet my emotional yes. needs and uh, yes. and 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 help me become who I want to be. And if the if the marriage does not help me become who I want to be and self-actualize and have meet my emotional needs. Then the marriage might not no longer be viable. Yeah. Versus, no, marriage is a is a means that God uses to sanctify us by teaching us to deny ourselves and serve the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. And 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 then you, it's not so much about seeing, finding the perfect wife, or the perfect mate, 
as it is about seeing how good marriage is for you. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. that this estate of marriage is going to bend. It's it's a it's God has designed this to bless you. And and the thing itself is good. Yeah. I think one problem, and this gets a little far afield, but like I think one problem with the way we approach relationships today, especially for young people, and I oof, dating would be hard right now. I, I feel for you if you're in the, the dating market, but it's just there's so much pressure on optimizing and finding kind of the perfect person yeah. in this seemingly endless array. But they are not the perfect person because even if you think they are, they're going to marry you and they're going to change. Yeah. And, and then you're going to have to change with them. Yes. And, and so it's more about having confidence in God's purpose for marriage yeah. than finding the spouse who checks every yeah. box uh, or enables you to fully be you or yes. something like that. Yes. That That is such a dangerous idea because <laughs> because you're, you're going to have to lay down your your nature and, and you're going to have to lose some independence to be married. Yes. Yes. And and I think that's that's kind of what I saw in Proverbs 31. It's not that she becomes kind of this independent businesswoman. No. But she contributes to her household yeah. and to her family and to her husband in maximum ways because he really encourages her, I think. Yeah. Behind and and so they as they work this thing together and they both become together something they could never have become by themselves, yeah. in service to their family, in service to their community, um, to the economy, to all these things. And so that you're, it, it's not one over the other, but it's them working together as a team. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. And that's a difference between the biblical vision of marriage and our modern vision yes. of yes. marriage. Er, Ernest Becker in Denial of Death called it the age of apocalyptic romance, where <laughs> we, we need something transcendent, so we make the relationship itself the transcendent thing. Right. Like, this is going to—if you watch any dating show, like that's that's it at the core of it. It's like, this is the relationship that's going to make me happy. And then they, they fail because there's too much weight in the relationship. Oh, yeah. The Bible would say— the, the relationship itself is great, but the reason God created marriage was for God's mission in the world. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was to help exercise dominion over God's world, and you needed to be fruitful and multiply, but also you needed this team together who could go, um, you know, cultivate the world. Yeah. That was the point. And so your marriage exists for a far bigger reason than your own marriage. Yes. It, it exists to bless other people. Exactly. Often that will mean being fruitful and multiplying biologically. Yeah. But that might mean spiritual reproduction. It might mean all sorts of ways that you as a team can bless the world around you. And so right. I think marriage has to be outward focused. It Why has God be. brought us together as a team to bless the world? And if right. you lose that and just look at how this relationship is meeting my needs and making me happy, uh, marriage will become very burdensome yeah. because it just can't bear that kind of, of weight. Um, that kind of focus. That kind of focus yeah. all the time on yeah. this relationship to meet my emotional, physical, sexual, yeah. romantic needs, all of these things. That's No, you, you're together to bless other people. And I just, my ability to bless other people has increased exponentially by being married to Cashel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I, I would say that's another thing that I would challenge couples to go, what, what can you do together that you couldn't have done apart? Right. And and a lot uh, a corollary of that is how can I be an encouragement to my mate yes. to develop in areas that where she still needs to develop which yeah. we all have things we need to develop right. in so that you're you're I'm I'm really alongside of her 
and strengthening in her areas, just as she is alongside of me and strengthening me in areas, rather than kind of say, okay, well, this is the way you are. This is the way I am. So let's figure out how to make all this work. It's, it, it's, I was just I was smiling as you were talking about the, the way a lot of couples kind of start off and as a finished product. And none of us are finished products. We're barely started. But over the years of marriage, as God uses the relationship to mold us both, we become more content, more secure in who God has made us to be, more secure in who God has made are made to be, and how we work together. So it's really thinking like how to be. How can I be a good teammate? How can I contribute? How can I help her? How can she help me? How can we strengthen each other to yeah. do the things God has called us to do? Because it's doing the things that God calls us to do is really going to give us our joy. And it's really a balance. Yes, acceptance, grace, accept them where they are. Yeah. But there's also the truth telling, the speaking truth, the 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 sense that we want to walk, we want to become who Christ wants us to become. And this relationship is is an avenue toward that. It's a means toward becoming like Christ. And that's where I think, you know, the meaning of marriage, the Keller's book, really gets this right, that there's a friendship at the core of marriage, that we have a common vision of life of who we want to become. We both want to become like Christ. We're going to help each other take a path toward this by modeling Christ-likeness to each other. Yeah. And, and so there really is friendship at the core of who this is. We, we share a common vision of what we think life in Christ is. Yeah. And we spur each other on uh, toward it. But you have to go into marriage with a sense that I, I still need to change. I'm not a finished product. Um, and I would encourage, you know, people, if you're looking for a mate, they're not a finished product. Uh, and neither are you. And yeah. so do I like who they're becoming is the question. Do I like the choices they're making? Not do they have everything figured out? Or do they have the, the career that they should end up in? Or do they have the attainments that I want in a spouse? Or the, you know, all of these things. It's, uh, you're looking at their, their baseline character and the way they're growing, not, yeah. not, not the finished product. And I'd say, i go a little beyond that. I would say at the center is Christ, that, that it is our own relationship with Christ. And, and the thing that gave me so much confidence in when I, I married uh, Laurie, and I think gave her confidence when she married me, we didn't know each other all that well. Yeah. But we'd seen enough of each other's walk with Christ that we knew that this is a person who fears Christ, that puts him above all things, and makes hard decisions in order to be obedient to him. And, and, and that's what gave us confidence, because we knew that Christ was at the center of our marriage. He is calling us to be together. So we just need to stay close to him individually, and that would bring us closer and closer together. And that's exactly the way it turned out. And, and as you say, it becomes a friendship. It becomes something you, you, that binds you together. It's, it's your relationship with him that binds you together and uh, opens up all kinds of other things as uh, features of that relationship. Charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's, I think that's such an important point that the, the spouse who will do you good all the days of your life yeah. um, is the spouse who fears God above all else. Yeah. And, 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 and lots of other things about your spouse will change over time, and you cannot predict those changes. No. Um, and, and you're going to have to learn to 
sometimes love the stranger you find yourself with. Just that this is a this is a different person than the person I married, and that's okay. Yeah. But what I what at the core of who they are though is a person who fears the Lord, and so I can I can be confident in that in them. Yes. You know, the heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. Right. Right. You know, I think about that with my relationship with Cashel. I really trust her intuitions and her guidance and her wisdom, mm-hmm. both because I believe as a man I need that woman and that that perspective that only she can give, but also because she's a woman who fears the Lord. Yeah. And, and, and she she has such an ability to center me on the things that are most important in a situation right. and not get distracted right. by the right. peripheral things. Yeah. And, and so I can trust her, and inevitably, when I take her counsel or consider her counsel, oh, decisions go so much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of think God might set it up that way, too. <laughs> it is not good for the man to be alone. Oh, boy. You know, in, uh, or for the woman. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, neither one of us function all that well apart when God calls you together. Mm-hmm. I, think that's, I think that's really, really the key. Yeah, and obviously for the singles, we could extend that to the family of God and needing needing relationships within the eternal yeah. family that yeah. the natural family points to. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on protecting your marriage? Oh, there's many, but I don't think I'm ready to give them today. With uh, <laughs> I would not trust. I have not thought of that enough. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But, uh, well, well, maybe we'll do another one. Sure. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just move on. But. Uh, Thanks, Dad. Thank you, Good thoughts here. Hopefully there was something practical in there for you listeners, and I hope it helped you, and we'll talk to you again soon.